Dragon Slayer Audio. Good evening. This is Bill Oberst Jr. Welcome to the Moonlit Library. I sing of strange arrivals, of ships neath phantom sail, and sudden lonely wail of worlds that drop beneath our feet at night. At night I sing of things of morning, of thing which with no warning finding door barred slides under, underestimated, unexpected, strange arrivals will be respected, never saying, I am near, but only, I am here. How long has it been, my friends? How long has it been since we lay down in one world and woke up in another? I woke up here in this magnificent old library. How about you? I do not know how much longer I will be here. How about you? We know nothing, do we, really? Storms come just like that. And I have a tale of a doozy of a storm for you tonight. It's an old newspaper clipping. I found it stuffed into a book locked in a wooden box beneath a layer of earth down in the basement of the library. But that's for a few moments from now in my voice. But first, and more importantly, your voice. Your voice messages. You know your old library keeper's blood flows a little faster each time you leave the show a voice message at speakpipe.com slash Bill Obers Jr. What's that? You say you didn't leave a voice message? Well, why not? It's free. People go to speakpipe.com slash Jr. and call from all over the sleeping world. Mike from the wonderful UK horror site erebushorror.com is a champion of gothic literature. He called in this week. Hi, Bill. It's Mike from Erebus Horror. I just wanted to let you know you're doing a brilliant job keeping us all entertained during these trying times. Your podcast has been immersive, captivating, and bringing gothic literature back to life. And Michael from the wonderful American horror site, horrorpatch.com, has an interesting thought on the path to redemption. This is Michael from Horror Patch. 
And I just wanted to say that this week's episode proves that the dark path to redemption is paved with broken hopes and dreams. That might be a bit of a bleak outlook, but what is good horror if not dark and cynical? Good night and sweet nightmares. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Michael. And thank you, ErebusHorror.com and HorrorPatch.com for all that you do to keep horror alive. Friend of the show, Scott, called in. To answer your question about hope, I choose to abandon it. If you go through life expecting nothing, you'll always be surprised. And from somewhere out there came this oddly familiar voice. Good evening. Love your stories on these long, dark nights as I sit and wonder who, uh, I mean, what will be my next meal. They are like the spider spinning his web for the unwary fly, trapping and holding you to the last sentence. Good night. Oh, Bela. How strange that you should call in this week in particular. How prescient of you, my old friend. Thank you all. And if you're listening and wondering if your voice should be heard, I say yes. But that's for you to decide. And it's for me to move on to tonight's tale. So I'll hold this old newspaper clipping carefully in my hand while you turn down the lights and settle into your place of rest. Our journey tonight begins with a dispatch from the Daily Graph newspaper 1890 well, the year is obscured somewhere in the 1890s it reads as follows 8 August from your correspondent in Whitby One of the greatest and suddenest storms on record has just been experienced here, with results both strange and unique. The weather was as fine as was ever known till sunset, when some of the gossips who frequent the East Cliff churchyard on the cliff far above the wide sweep of sea called attention to a sudden cluster of mare's tails high in the sky to the northwest an old fisherman who for more than half a century have kept watch on weather from East Cliff foretold in an emphatic manner the coming of a sudden storm. The wind fell away to a dead calm. The stillness of the air grew oppressive. The silence was so marked that the bleeding of a sheep inland, the barking of a dog in the town, these could be distinctly heard. 
There were few lights in sight at sea. The only sail noticeable was a foreign schooner, with all sails set, seemingly going full tilt westwards directly into the blast. The foolhardiness of her officers was a prolific theme for comment, and efforts were made to signal her to reduce sail in the face of the danger, but to no avail. She plowed on, and she was last seen as night fell, rolling on the undulating swell of the sea. A strange sound came from over the sea, a faint, hollow booming, and without warning, the tempest broke. In a very few minutes, the sea was a roaring, devouring monster. The wind blew with such force that it was with difficulty that even strong men kept their feet. Masses of sea fog came drifting inland, so dank and damp and cold that it needed but little effort of the imagination to think that the spirits of those lost at sea were touching their living brethren with the clammy hands of death. On the summit of East Cliff, the new searchlight was ready for experiment, but had not yet been tried. The Coast Guard, in charge, with the help of some of those gathered, got it into working order and swept the surface of the sea with the light. Before long, the searchlight discovered, some distance away, the foreign schooner, still with all sails set, plowing in at great speed. There was a shudder amongst the watchers on the cliff as they realized the terrible danger in which she now was. Between her and the port lay that great flat reef on which so many good ships have suffered, and with the wind roaring from the east as it was, it was impossible that this schooner should make the entrance of the harbor without disaster. It was the time of high tide, but the waves were so great that in their troughs the sandy bottom of the sea was visible, and the schooner, with all sails set, was rushing with such terrible speed that, in the words of one old salt, ah, she must fetch up somewheres, if only in hell. Then came another rush of sea fog, a, a mass of dank mist which closed off all sight. People waited, breathless. When the wind shifted and the fog melted in the blast, there was the schooner between the piers, leaping from wave to wave as it rushed at headlong speed, jumped the sandy bar, and gained the safety of the harbor. The searchlight trained on her as she rushed in, and a shudder ran through all who saw her, for it lashed to the wheel of this ship was a corpse with drooping head which swung horribly to and fro with each roll of the ship. No other form could be seen on deck. A great awe came on all as they realized that this ship, as if by a miracle, had found the harbor unsteered save by the hand of a dead man. The schooner pitched herself onto the sand and gravel in the southeast corner of Tateel Pier with a vast concussion. 
At the very instant the ship drove up onto the sand, an immense dog sprang on deck from below, as if shot up by the concussion, and running forward, jumped from the bow onto the shore. The animal made for the steep cliff where the churchyard hangs over East Pier, and it disappeared into the darkness. Quite a number of people now began to run to the wreck, but your correspondent is a fairly good runner and came well ahead of the crowd. I was one of the first to see who or what was lashed to the wheel. The corpse was fastened by his hands, tied one over the other to a spoke of the wheel. A crucifix was wrapped round both wrists and tied to the wheel and all kept fast by binding cords. The pitching of the ship had dragged the body to and fro so that the cords with which the hands were tied had cut the lifeless flesh to the bone. In the corpse's pocket was a bottle, carefully corked, empty, save for a little roll of paper. The man is in the mortuary awaiting inquest. Your correspondent shall, in time for your next issue, endeavor to seek further details of the derelict ship and the contents of the paper in the bottle found in the pocket of the dead man. 9 August From your correspondent in Whitby the sequel to the strange arrival of the derelict schooner in the storm last night is almost more startling than the thing itself. She is Russian. She is called the Demeter. She was bound from Varna, Bulgaria to London, with sand for ballast, and only a small amount of cargo. A number of wooden boxes filled with mold and marked for delivery to several addresses in London a good deal of interest is abroad concerning the dog which sprang out when the ship struck, and more than a few of the members of the SPCA, which is very strong here in Whitby, wish to befriend the animal. But it cannot be found. The beast seems to have disappeared entirely. Your correspondent has been permitted by the authorities to share with you the strange contents of the paper in the bottle in the pocket of the helmsman, who, as it turns out, was the ship's captain. I write from the direct dictation of the Russian consul, who has translated the document for me. It runs as follows. 6 July Finished taking in cargo, sand and boxes of earth, set sail at noon, east wind, all well, nine on board, five hands, two mates, one cook, and myself, the captain. 13 July, past the Cape. The crew is dissatisfied about something, seems scared, but will not speak out. Such is their way. Most are Romanian. 14 July. Anxious about crew. They are all steady fellows who sailed with me before. The first mate cannot make out what is wrong. 
They only told him there was something and crossed themselves superstitiously. The mate lost his temper with one of them and struck him. I expected a fight, but there was little response. 16 July. One of the crew is missing. First mate could not account for him. He says the man, Petrovsky, took watch at eight bells last night, was relieved by Abramoff, but never reached his bunk. The men are troubled, but will not say any more than that there is something aboard. The first mate is growing very impatient with them. I fear trouble. 17 July. One of the men, Olgarin, came to my cabin and confided to me that he thought that he thought there was a strange man aboard the ship. He said that in his watch he had been sheltering behind the deckhouse as there was a rainstorm when he saw a tall, thin man come up the companionway, go along the deck, and disappear. Says he followed the man, but found nothing, and that the hatchways were all closed. He is in a panic of superstitious fear, and I am afraid that panic may spread. To allay it, I shall search the entire ship carefully, from stem to stern, and the men shall accompany me. 17 July. Got together the whole crew and told them, as they evidently thought there was someone in the ship, that we would search from stem to stern. The first mate was very angry, said it was folly, and to yield to such foolish ideas would demoralize the men, said he would prefer to settle their fears with a handspike. I made him take the helm while we began a thorough search, all keeping abreast. We left no corner of the ship unsearched. As there were only the big wooden boxes, there were no odd corners where a man could hide below. The men were much relieved when the search was over. We found nothing. They went back to work cheerfully. The first mate scowled, but said nothing. 22 July. Rough weather the last three days. All hands busy with the sails, no time to be frightened. The men seem to have forgotten their dread. The mate is cheerful again. All are on good terms. I praise the men for their work in the bad weather. We passed Gibraltar and on out through the straits. All is well. 24 July. There seems some doom over this ship. Last night, another man was lost. Disappeared. Like the first, he came off watch and was not seen again. The men are all in a panic of fear. They've sent to me asking to have double watch posted as they fear to be alone. The mate is angry. 
I fear there will be trouble, as either he or the men are bound to do some violence. 28 July Four days in hell. We have been knocking about in some sort of maelstrom. The wind is a tempest. There is no sleep for anyone. The men are worn out. The second mate volunteered to steer and to keep watch to let the men snatch a few hours sleep, to which I agreed. 29 July. Another tragedy. When the morning watch came on deck, he could find no one. He raised an outcry. All came on deck. There was a thorough search, but the second mate was not found. 30 July. The day began with rejoicing, for we are nearing England. Weather was fine. All sails were set. Worn out, I was sleeping soundly this evening when awakened by the mate, telling me that both the man of the watch and the steersman were missing. Only myself and the first mate and two hands are left to work the ship. 2 August Woke up from a few minutes' sleep, hearing a cry outside my port. I could see nothing in the fog. Rushed on deck, ran to the mate, who told me he heard a cry and ran, but found no sign of the man who was on watch. One more gone. 3 August. At midnight, I went to relieve the man at the wheel, and when I got to it, found no one there. I dared not leave the wheel. I shouted for the mate. He rushed on deck in his flannels, looking wild-eyed and haggard. I fear his reason has given way. He put his mouth to my ear and whispered hoarsely, as if he feared that the air itself would hear, "'It is here. It is here. I know it now. On the watch last night, I saw it. It, it is like a man, tall and thin and ghastly pale. It was in the bowels, looking out to the sea. I crept behind it, and I gave it my knife, but the knife went through it, empty as the air. <laughs> but it is here, and I'll find it. It is in the hold, perhaps in one of those boxes. I'll unscrew them one by one. I'll see. You work the helm. The mate has gone below with a tool chest and a lantern down the forward hatchway. He is mad. Stark, raving, mad. There is no use my trying to stop him. So here I stay and mind the wheel and write these notes. I can only trust in God and wait till the fog clears. 4 August 
It is nearly all over now. Just as I was beginning to hope that the mate would come out calmer from below, I heard him knocking away at something in the hold and work is good for him. There came up the hatchway a sudden startled scream which made my blood run cold and up on the deck ran the mate as if shot from a gun. A raging madman with eyes rolling and his face convulsed with fear and crying, Save me! Save me! Save me! And before I could move forward to seize him, he sprang on the bulwark and threw himself into the water. And he was right to jump overboard. Better to die like a man. O oh God and the Blessed Virgin and the saints, help this poor ignorant soul trying to do his duty. What is on board this ship? is a horror. God help me to stand it. Thus ends the parchment found on the pocket of the corpse tied to the Demeter's wheel. The inquest verdict was an open one. Some say that the captain himself committed the murders. No trace has been found of the great dog, at which there is much mourning, for with public opinion in its present state, the beast would, I believe, be happily adopted by the town, should he turn up. So ends your correspondence report, and so ends one more mystery of the sea. Really? That's the end of it, is it? All wrapped up, just like that? Well, you know, the thing about strange arrivals is that the end of one is often only the beginning of another. A storm brings a ship, brings a cargo, brings a monster, brings a struggle, brings a hero, if we're lucky. Paging Dr. Van Helsing, paging Dr. Abraham Van Helsing, we sure could use you just about now, Doc. Time for sleep. The books are all back on the shelves. The clouds are clearing the moon. And your eyelids are heavy, heavier, heaviest. From an old library, on the edge of a precipice, on the edge of the forest, on the edge of the world, I wish you sweet dreams. Thanks for being who you are. People of dreams. People of the book. I so appreciate you.
and I so value your company. Sleep well. And remember, it's always midnight somewhere and in someone's soul. Good night.